As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Thanks, Peter. Much appreciated. So, because it says, don't worry about before I want to say, just whatever you say is given to you at the times, uh, I've not prepared anything for today, so we'll see how that works out for me. That's a really bad interpretation of that scripture, because I'm not apparently being hauled before governors and kings, right? So, can't rely on that one today. So, I have prepared. Woohoo! You know, sometimes um, in our world, which is so full of change and always has been the way of the world, because it's full of people, right? Um, crazy things happen. And quite often, churches decide to take a break from their normal kind of program or flow if they're going through a book of the Bible, whatever, they decide to change to really address specifically something that's happening in the world. And 9-11 was an example of that. I'm sure churches all over the nation, including here, I was not here then, but I imagine that that was addressed specifically. Um, the pandemic, you know, when we entered into that, I know a lot of churches were like, how do we bring scripture and the, the wisdom of God to bear on this situation? Uh, the summer of all the protests and, and issues of race relations, and just other traumatic sudden events, whether like on our doorstep, that happens, you know, things happen locally and churches will address it uh, or around the world. And I think it's really important. We believe that the word of God illuminates all uh, aspects of our human experience. It has something to say about all of it. Uh, and it can offer us both comfort and guidance as well as hope. Uh, but not, not only that, um, but also it can give us the ability to, to understand something beyond our basic human understanding. It's called revelation. So we can actually perceive something that we don't have the, we're not equipped for in and of ourselves. It's quite a beautiful thing that God can reveal things to us that, that only he can give us. And, and it's usually things that are very counterintuitive to how we might respond to the things that happen in our world, like things like loving our enemies and forgiveness and, and unity and a call to be peacemakers in all circumstances. 
But sometimes you don't need to change your plan for it to kind of seem to fit with the circumstances that you find yourself in. Sometimes a Bible text just seems to fit, and today seems like such a text. As you heard Peter read that text, you might have thought that and noticed that it seems extremely relevant perhaps to these days when Jesus says you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And we see that there is this terrible conflict occurring in Europe right now, in Ukraine. And so I am actually really grateful that the text is meeting us in this place right now where we are in the world. Because this is a time, I feel there's a time of anxiety and a time of questions, a time of soul searching. And I think Jesus meets us right here in this text today. You know, we're also in the season of Lent, heading towards the Holy Week with the crucifixion, Good Friday and Monday, Thursday, and then this amazing resurrection that also is a good, timely thing for us to be moving into. So Jesus really, in this text, he has two main points that he wants to make, I think. And the first one is, is a negative thing. He's t- talking about something he wants people to move away from. And the second one is positive. It's a, a concept that he wants people to move towards. And it's these two aspects of human life. And the first one that is negative that he does not want us to do is absolute trust in earthly kingdoms. To have a trust that we will put our hope in earthly kingdoms. And the second one is earthly trust in the absolute kingdom. So two things, negative, absolute trust in earthly kingdoms and positive, an earthly trust whilst on earth in this absolute kingdom that he is bringing and Mark is telling us about. So the first thing, absolute trust in earthly kingdoms, we can see that really it's the source of this conversation. This is what sparks this longest uh, continuous dialogue of Jesus in all of Mark. It's really extensive. This is only the first part of it. Next week we're going into a larger part. But if you've got a Bible with red print in it, this is just all red print for the words of Jesus in this section. And it, it comes from this a comment by one of his disciples. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Luke, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. That's what starts this conversation. Look at these stones, the magnitude of this place, these buildings, how wonderful and powerful they are. He's talking about the temple that Herod was rebuilding in Jerusalem, and it was an incredible testimony to human strength and human ingenuity. It occupied a platform of over 9,000 by 1,500 feet. It was foreboding, a colossal building. At the front of the temple building itself stood 150 feet tall and 150 feet wide. It was made of white stone. Much of it was covered in silver and gold. A beautiful, powerful, it was actually known as one of the wonders of the world, and it was there in Jerusalem, and even the disciples were, this little aside, but look at this magnificent place, and it leads Jesus to think some things, because we've seen already in the past few chapters, or a chapter or so, that the temple represents a great deal more than simply beautiful architecture. It is a place of politics and power authority and religion. All the previous controversies that Jesus has had with these leaders take place in this 
place. And Jesus, we've seen, has gone out of his way to address specifically the issues that were the kind of rotten heart of what was happening in the place that he loved. National pride, they were proud of it because it was in Israel, exclusivity. And then the religious, religious leaders, we talked about their flowing gowns, they held sway there. This was their place, their territory in which to show off with their lengthy prayers and their publicly demonstrated offerings at the coin star that Melody said, right? Blow a trumpet as they put money in the, in the offering plate because they're so wonderful, pious men. Endless debate, we had this question about who's husband and wife and all this stuff, so they're endlessly debating the finer points of theology. Well, all around them, the poor are suffering, the sick and the marginalized. Economic exploitation, Jesus went and he drove these people out of the temple, said, it said this will be a house of prayer and you've made it a den of thieves. And then the very previous story that Melody shared about the widow who gave all that she had she was destitute, but she still came to worship God in this temple, which was meant to be hers as much as it was anybody's. But she was destitute because of these religious leaders who, Mark says, they devour widows' homes. Herod was in the process of building this temple, and he was doing it partially to curry favor with the religious leaders who did not like him, but they appreciated this building that he was giving them. And Roman's skill in building was being used to build this temple, it's just all of these worlds together in this edifice that the disciples point to and say, wow, look at that. Jesus could have just let it slide, couldn't he? He's just kind of like, yeah, now let's get on with the important business. But he, as always Jesus does, he takes the opportunity to teach them something. This place was meant to be a testimony to the power of God and what it had become was a symbol of human power. So what does Jesus say? He says, do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Doesn't mess around, does he? I love it that Jesus actually says that they're great. Uh, and I was thinking about this, you know. He, he repeats, say, yeah, great buildings. He doesn't deny that they're great. But it's kind of funny, because after all, he created the hands that shaped the stones that made the building, <laughs> right? Even more fundamentally, he made the stones that the building was made out of. He is the creator. He's like, yeah, it's great. I made it fundamentally, but he is clear that these things are transitory and they are impermanent. It will not last. And seeing his disciples who've been with him, who've seen these dialogues with religious leaders uh, be so in awe of this place means they're still so tied to the way things are, to the authority and the power of these leaders, political and religious. And Jesus says that there's a coming ruin. It is passing away. And they were living in uncertain times. We've always lived in uncertain times. And Jesus wanted them to understand that which was a legitimate, a place, legitimately a place to put their trust in, that which was not. So he goes into this whole passage about, um, they ask two questions. They say, when's this going to happen? And what are the signs? Well, he doesn't tell them when it's going to happen. But he gives them some idea of signs but not signs to start spending all your time looking at the signs and making then a, a, you know, a, a date. <laughs> this looks like it's now. But he wants his people to be aware of what is to come. So he says this thing about wars and rumors of war, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And we can bring all this that he says into our world now because human beings have been the same since they began and will always somewhat be the same because of who we are. Um, we're in a time of war. 
Who else here has felt some nervousness around some of the things that have been said? Who has actually not watched any news media at all and doesn't know what I'm talking about, that there's a war happening in, in Europe right now? Anyone? Okay, it, it, it's worrying, you know, as if old-fashioned spears and arrows warfare wasn't enough. We've invented all kinds of new warfare that we're engaging in right now. Information wars, war in cyberspace, cryptocurrency warfare, economic war, and the threat of nuclear war. It's been a long time since we had that little kind of sword hanging over our heads, hasn't it? Does anyone here remember being in school and doing drills to hide under your table because there was going to be a nuclear bomb coming? Anyone? Or seeing informational films? In Britain, for sure, we were like, I'm, I'm 54, almost 54. And, and I remember being in school and talking about that thing and having this, this existential threat of Russia was going to bomb us. Um, and then Chernobyl had the accident, and we couldn't drink milk or eat any products from, from things that could have been affected by this radioactive cloud that floated over Scotland. Um, so, so war, he's saying, okay, this is, this is, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. Second thing, earthquakes in various places. <laughs> various places, like here. <laughs> that could never happen. The instability of the very earth under our feet. We think we trust so much in, in the predictability. And we remember disorientation, if you were here for the talk about disorientation and orientation, one of the things that causes us to be oriented is the predictability of things like the seasons and, the, and the, you know, of nature. We can trust that certain things, the sun will shine on seeds and crops, they will grow, we will eat the food. But the earth is not predictable. I remember my first earthquake here. I was sitting with Peter and who else? The elders were in the upper room, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and behold... Uh, the spirit moved, and so did the building. And it literally shook from here through that building. I, we could just, you'd, and up across the parking lot. And, I, and everyone else was like, didn't bat an eyelid. They're just still talking. So the budget, and I'm just like, <gasps> you know, like terrified. But once again, it was perfect timing, because guess what I was preaching on that next Sunday? The upper room where the disciples were all together, and the Holy Spirit came, and the room trembled. <laughs> I was just like, I know what that's like. But there's earthquakes, and it, it, so this, I, we just got this. This gentleman who, uh, I don't see his name on here, uh, um, Bill Weather, he actually came personally handed this in a few weeks ago. So I give it to Melody, who then gave it to Josh. And it's the coming of the mega quake, California. This October, everything is going away, according to this man. <laughs> Not kidding. He's got flyers. And, and, and he wasn't joking around. He was generally concerned and giving every pastor to tell his people, run away from California by October. Okay, this is a little snarky, but I'm going to make a, see if we can have coffee the day after at Railside up the road. See if he'll come, see if he's there, see if we can talk. But, but you know, it's, it's for real, this fear of, you know, this is going to happen. And people will tell us, this is it, it's coming. Um, he says famine. Famines, he mentions fa they've always been this kind of thing, and in many ways the climate change situation is, is causing real problems now. It is a real thing that there is uh, too much rain in some places and not enough rain in other places, and a lot of things are turning and changing, and, and it's, it's a real fear that, uh, that our, our world is maybe not giving enough food to certain people in certain places. Famine is a reality for many, many people in the world. Uh, this thing about families too, even the fact of a family, you think might be, should hopefully be the most uh, protective uh, place where we can have confidence, at least our family is with us. And, and he talks about this brother betraying brother to death and father his child, a father his child. Children rebelling against their parents 
uh, etc. Um, you know, I think we've all experienced how fragile families can be. Now, one of the best examples I've heard, and I've seen this time and time again, is when a matriarch or something or someone in the family who has a little bit of money passes away and the kids end up fighting and never speak to each other again or squabbling over who gets what in the will. These things are so... Difficult, transient, um, unpredictable, often undependable. But there's one comment in this section that, that Jesus makes that doesn't seem to fit here. Uh, right at the beginning, he talks about war, he talks about earthquakes, he talks about famine. But how he begins it is with this statement that watch out, no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. What's that about? Well, he, he's talking about the response often that people have when they see these things happening and they start to say this is the end. And in some way, they, they often will bring themselves into this position that they will be the ones, much like this earthquake gentleman, that they will be the ones that will tell you. And it's basically taking uh, this claim for themselves. The fact that it says, they say, I am, I am he. The, the words I am in scripture are really powerful. They're only ever used of God. And Jesus says it of, his, of himself, I am the bread of life. Um, all of these things, and they're taking this. And, and you know, interestingly enough, in this Russian-Ukrainian thing, I don't know if you realize, but there's a huge religious component in this war. And it's to do with the Orthodox Church, which has this fight between the Russian Orthodox and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Um, the other day, I watched this uh, protest rally in Belgrade, which was pro-Russian. And, and I'm just gonna quote what it said on the, on the news report. This is about saving mankind said an elderly man carrying a Russian flag. This is a struggle between good and bad, and we know, thank God, that Mother Russia will win. And, and Vladimir Putin thinks of himself as a, as a real, he presents himself as a very strong supporter of the Orthodox Church. And, and when the religion starts getting into this thing, when, when times are difficult and there's war and rumors of war and famines and earthquakes, there's always people who will rise up and start to say, now the time has come, listen to me. Follow me, I will show you what to do. I will be the person. And basically they're taking this kind of sense of messiahship or being the answer and somehow uh, responding to this uncertainty by proclaiming themselves as the certain one that we should follow. And I think preachers are doing this right now with the war. Once again, the nation has conflict and there are all kinds of preachers standing up saying, these are the signs, it's happening now. And if you'll simply give us a check or postal order for $50, I will tell you how to be on the right side of all of this, right? Well, here's the point Jesus wants to make. Yes, these things are unable to support us. They are difficult. They do cause us great anxiety. Actually, they may take our lives. But what he wants us to know is that we may be able to damage this creation, and we do, and inevitably, we, we will continue to do so with our poor stewardship and our endless conflict. Yet, the end will come only when the one who is the source and fulfillment of all things comes to renew everything. And no person can be that person. And he wants us to have some trust that he knows. He wants his disciples to know, yes, you will hear these things. It's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be dangerous, but you need to trust in me. He points them to earthly trust in the absolute kingdom. 
And, and this is why he goes after the temple like this, because he's trying to move them away from this, this, this trust in something that can never support them and turn their trust towards him. You know, it's interesting that the very words that Jesus uses here are some of the words that they used to accuse him of blasphemy and crucify him. They said, he said he would tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days and all the stuff about temple stuff. So he's saying this stuff and coming against this massive edifice to power and this is what gets him ultimately in trouble. So, this is the message today. Things are difficult, war, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, etc., etc. Family problems, trust in Jesus and everything will be easy. Okay? You may go. <laughs> Pick up a Lent booklet at the door. That's not true, is it? That's not true. If you read the passage on, you, we find out that it's, it's absolutely not at all true. Because there is, there's two kinds of trouble he's talking about here. There are, there are trials which I'm going to call creation trouble. Because as people say, nature sings in a minor key, right? It, it, there's a brokenness of nature which, which causes so much of this. And it's inside of us and it's outside of us and it's even in the earth, but there's also this trouble that will come to those who decide to follow this other way. This one small man standing by this giant temple of power and saying, one day the stones will be taken down from here. Those who align themselves with him are going to have new creation trouble because they're part of this new kingdom and it does not go well for them against uh, the, 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 what currently is. He says, you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're, whenever you're arrested, what do you mean whenever, Jesus? Can't you say if? <laughs> I looked at the, the Greek, you know, and trying to make, sure, make it if, but it's not. It's whenever. And brought to trial. Don't worry, etc. I'm like, you're like... Okay, Jesus, you just told us all this stuff, and now you're telling us that that's general stuff, and you're getting super specific, and we are the target, the sharp point of this dagger because of you? But he doesn't leave them without any hope. And this is, this is the point. This is what we all need. Because we're, we are in a time of anxiety that Jesus does not want us to be comfortless, uh, unmoored. He wants us to understand a few things. And he uses these, these particular uh, commands. And this section is full of these. They're punctuated all the way through the section of this is what you must do. This is what you must focus on. And I'm just going to summarize them. The first one is watchfulness. Watchfulness. Have your eyes open. He says, watch out. Don't be deceived. Be on your guard. Be, be alert, be awake, be watchful. The second thing is confidence. He says, don't be alarmed, don't worry. Easier said than done, right? When you've got a megalomaniac threatening to launch nukes. But confidence, why does he say confidence? Well, what is also amazing about this passage is it's not just about the bad things that will happen to you. It's about the positive things that will come from anything that happens to you. He says, you will stand before them, but not as victims, as witnesses. 
How empowering is that? They think that you, they've got you in a place of victimhood, and you're standing before them as a witness to the God they apparently cannot see, and you will be the person to give that information to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. It might come because you get dragged away. It might become because you encounter some affliction that is desperately painful, but because of that, you find solidarity with somebody else who is similarly suffering, and you can say to them, I have a hope that is beyond this earth and is with me presently now. And it's not always easy, and I shed tears, and I have lonely nights, but I have confidence and I have hope ultimately. Paul was an example of this. The apostle Paul, he was, a prophet came and said, he tied his hands up and said, this is how you will go to Rome, Paul. Don't go. And Paul said, but I, you know, I must go. I must preach the gospel. And you know, this man who was you know, quite a, a learned man and stuff, but had completely become, uh, you know, chucked out of everything because of his, his relationship with Jesus, he ends up appearing probably before the emperor himself, having this audience with him, but through this very difficult thing. So uh, the, the third word is steadfastness, stand firm, stand firm. And then patience, patience, oh my goodness. It's kind of a cliche, but whoever prayed for patience, what happened the very next hour? It was tried, like, it's comical sometimes. You're like, oh, Lord, I'm praying through the virtues that you wish that we had, the fruits of the Spirit. I'm praying for patience today. And then, as happened three o'clock this morning, a skunk gets under your house again and sprays everywhere. <laughs> Don't get too close to me. And I said earlier, maybe I'll fall asleep during my own sermon today rather than some of you guys. Patience, though. And here's the thing. Most generations have found themselves identifying with this passage because these things keep on happening again and again and again. Apparently, according to military historians, there's never been a time in our history where there was no conflict. So here's, here's the thing. We can, we can hear voices now saying this is a sign of the end or we can hear voices saying, you know, run for the hills, despair, or, or just say, you know, the human race is just as, as a worthless thing, you know, all, all the things that people might say in response to the things that we see that are so damaging. But I think what Jesus is saying to us is be here right now, just right now today, and do not give in to despair. Do not give in to despair. He talks about birth pains. Now, I'm not very acquainted with birth pains firsthand anyway, but he, this, is, this occurs a lot in, in Jewish writings, but also in Christian writings, this concept of, of birth pains, it's like labor. And if there's one thing I do know about the process of, a, of someone giving birth is that it's very unpredictable. Just yesterday we talked to our friend who, whose son decided he was staying in the residence that he was in because he liked it. Uh, he is now five years old and he's doing quite well, but he didn't want to be born, <laughs> you know? So they had to really like work on this with inducement. I remember Rona when she gave birth to our son, Ethan, uh, I was at work because I didn't have any kind of paternity leave, whatever, and uh, our pastor was sitting with Rona for the whole afternoon, and he was terrified. As Rona would be chat, 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 and then, oh, and he was just like, he's like, Grant, you're coming home soon, you're coming home. I tell you, I've never seen a guy get out of a house so quick as when I came home. He was gone. 
But then we were driving to Ronna's cousin's house because we were going to do a home birth and uh, which is so funny, but like I made her a veggie burger on a bun, like so she's in the car eating, I need my strength, and then suddenly she'd be like, Wah! and I'm driving the car, and then she's then they'll go away. But it's a really it's a really interesting thing, they kind of get closer and closer between, but you can't really predict how this is all going to go. He uses this very clearly to say, you know, this, this is inevitable, there is conflict, there is trouble, there is trials but you need to have watchfulness and confidence and steadfastness and patience because you don't know and don't listen to anyone who tells that this is the end, especially if they tell you, follow after me and I'll show you how to escape this. It will not be wrapped up till he comes again. And we're, it's interesting, there's so many parallels in this, this story in Mark, the way the gospel is going because what Jesus describes does indeed happen to the disciples. Shortly after he is taken and he is crucified, they encounter their own, this stuff takes place. They are indeed dragged before people as witnesses. They are indeed flogged. Every single one of them, it is said, was murdered, martyred for their faith. Parallel to that also, Mark is writing to the church and they're in persecution. This is one of the reasons Mark writes this letter. He's writing to a church that is beginning under Nero to experience some serious persecution. Rome has their eye on the Christians. And I think it has some parallels with our lives too. You know, you may not have a war on your doorstep. There may not be an earthquake for a long time. You may have plenty of food to eat right now, but you have the birth pains that come both from the fact that this world is, is broken and also the fact that we also are seeking to follow God, and it's one of the hardest things you can do. It's only, they say that only um, people who try to live righteously experience just how difficult that is. It comes with all kinds of temptations and trials and challenges. But I think there's another parallel here, and it's about the season of Lent that we're in. Because the story of Jesus' journey from this point to the end, I think, is a story that can cause us to understand our suffering in, in, a, in a better way that it's not just meaningless, but also cause us to understand that there is something so much better that is certainly coming. We had Ash Wednesday on Wednesday, and now we're entering into Lent as a time, and we're calling it journeying with Jesus to the cross and beyond. And we're gonna see in Mark the next few weeks where Jesus is arrested, He's accused, he's tried, he's abandoned, he's condemned, he is flogged, and he is crucified, and he is murdered, and he is dead. And on that Saturday, there is no hope. And I think that is often the story of our lives. And that is the point at which we can give up hope, despair, or start looking for someone else to believe in or trust in that maybe works better, like the disciples do. He's gone. We thought he was the Messiah, and he is dead. But as surely, as you can imagine, Sunday morning that we celebrate now, and the stone is rolled away, and the power of God rises to life. And that is a story for us. All, all of our stories, the story of every conflict, is moving steadily towards resurrection. That is our hope. That is our hope. 
he is the one who says, it is I, be at peace. Even in the midst of conflict and war, this is our story. This is our story. We're gonna go to communion as a way of responding now. If you do not have one of these and you would like to join with us, and really what we, we see this as an opportunity, we do this every single week, and it's an opportunity to make this personal. Because on the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he invited his friends to join him for, for a meal. And it was the time of Passover, a time when the people would remember how they were set free from slavery in Egypt. And Jesus was now applying this to himself, that he would be the one, through his sacrifice, who would kill death and set his people free. And this is what we are invited into also. Raise your hand if you do not have one of these and someone will bring you one if you'd like to participate today. Everyone had one? System is working. (laughs) At least something in the world is working. But Jesus took bread and he broke it. Such a fundamental, nourishing material. Every nation in the world is one of the fundamental foods for every nation. And it's... And it just speaks so much of this, of the provision of the ground and things that we can trust in, that we have sustenance. And and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. You know, the temple was the place where people would come to meet with God. And now he was saying, in me is life. This is my body. Let's take the bread together. Then he took the cup. And I just think it's beautiful that, um, you know, people say in times of suffering, you know, where is God? Where is God? And I always point them to a cross and say, there is God. He became one of us and he suffered and he bled and he died to give us life. He knows what it's like to be human. So as we take this cup, we say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not cling to your divinity as a way to avoid suffering, but you entered gladly into it for and with us, and you are the companion of every sufferer for all time, in all places. You give us hope.